Welcome to Season of the Bitch, a leftist podcast filled with Alice Sparkly Cat stands. Today we have Laura, Zoe, Julia, and Bianca. And today we have the massive privilege of speaking with Alice Sparkly Cat about their upcoming book, Postcolonial Astrology, Reading the Planets Through Capital, Power, and Labor. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, we're so happy to have you. Happy Aries season to a fellow Aries. Um, I hope you're feeling present in your power uh i know i am i'm feeling like extra aries i feel this year i don't know if it's because we've been stuck in quarantine like but usually my aries is kind of muted because i have an earth trine and a water trine (laughs) so it's uh it's it's definitely muted but i feel this season very extra i feel like i am yeah i'm wearing like a dragon ball z shirt today yes yeah that's that's extremely powerful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our longtime listeners will know that we had Alice Sparkly Cat on almost three years ago, which is wild. Uh, it was Zoe's first episode that they planned, which is so yeah. sweet. <laughs> um, and that was kind of just an introduction to astrology for our listeners, which is um, pretty funny because since then we now have a whole astrology mini series called Roasted, where we roast the signs during their season. And when we do this, we usually have a couple guests that we're specifically roasting, and we almost always pull up their archetype from your website. Um, so the sun and moon archetype specifically. Uh, and because we've found there's truly no better roast than your archetype. Uh, and we just thought you should know that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> It's the best. Like, everyone's like, oh, this isn't too bad so far. And then we're like, and here's Alice Sparkly Cat's archetype for you. And everyone's like, oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't think of them as roasts, honestly. I think roasts are a good thing, personally. Yeah, cool. But, um, yeah. Uh, but seriously, if y'all have not been following Ellis Sparkly Cat on Instagram and Twitter, and if you haven't read their previous books or used their workbooks, you need to get on that. Um, it has been an absolute privilege to watch your base grow and for people to recognize the value of your voice in the astrological community. Um, so can we start by an intro uh, of you introducing yourself about who you are and what your astrology philosophy is? Yeah, um, my name is Alice Sparkly Cat. I go by Ace. Um, so, like, you know, you might see people calling me that. And I mean, like, yeah, what I do is I do, uh, like, I do client work mostly. That's what I mostly do with my time. So, like, just talking to people about their lives, about their charts, and asking a lot of questions. Um, and I do some writing too. So, I do some writing on my website. And then the book, um, I have a book coming out called Postcolonial Astrology. So like that, um, like it, it's kind of about the astrology that's already out there. Like it's not about like creating a new type of astrology or anything. Mm-hmm. So it's um, like, you know, it just asks some questions about how we contextualize what's out there already. That's awesome. Um, I, I think all of us have pre-ordered it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. We're all really, really excited. Um, and is it uh, – I guess, can you tell us a little bit more about the upcoming book? Um, 
is it going to be I know some of your previous books I have the one I forget exactly what it's called but you kind of storytell through the planets mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of like interaction with it which I felt also was how your approach to client work was is very like interactive rather than kind of like just giving information to someone and so I guess could you tell us a little bit more about your upcoming book uh without spoiling too much of course you know like what what can we look forward to with that yeah yeah like I have two books that I self-published which are a little bit more interactive so they're workbooks like you know you use one to uh like kind of learn astrology by writing a piece of fiction um and another one is like a lot of worksheets and coloring pages that you can do um so this one it's not a workbook it's uh like it's a lot of writing uh like the book it's Uh, it's organized into three sections. So we're really just looking at the seven planets and we're looking at them as if they are words in a language, uh, which astrology is a language. So we're looking at the etymologies of each planet symbol. Um, And they're read in opposition. So the luminary, sun and moon, they're read in opposition to Saturn. Like these planets, um, they talk about capital. So then we talk about how they exist as a whole too. Um, Venus is read in opposition to Mars, and we talk about power. Um, we talk about, uh, like, you know, Mercury in opposition to Jupiter. And that one is about labor. It originally was going to be about technology, but then it ended up being about labor. <laughs> Classic. Mm. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this is kind of a big question, so feel free to go into, like, as much or as little detail as you want. Um But we just wanted to ask if you could talk a little about the history of astrology, like both pre and post um, colonization, like what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So the book is about Western astrology, because a lot of the astrology that's really popular is Western. But the thing about the West is that a lot of the materials that make up the West aren't Western origin. So that's why you have a lot of different Um, Like, you know, the West, it's multicultural. You have a lot of things coming together. So the West, it's a type of perspective and it's an archive. It's a way of seeing the world. So that's how it kind of looks at Western astrology. It doesn't try to prove like, oh, you know, these things started in the West historically or anything like that. It's saying that the way that we remember both traditional and modern astrology is Western. Like, even though Greek and um, Greece and Rome, like, you know, they like no one living ancient Rome described themselves as a Westerner. We remember this place as a Western origin point. So, yeah, like, you know, the book, it doesn't go really heavy into the history. Uh, it Like, it doesn't try to map out like, oh, here's where this house system kind of comes out or anything like that. It deals with how the archetypes that we deal with like you know saturn um being about i mean land being about indigeneity like what those look like in the present um so like it's kind of associative i think that astrology it's um like a lot of times the archetypes in astrology they don't work linearly they work associatively mm-hmm. and they always deal in dualities um so for example saturn it tends to stand for poverty but also stands for wealth Mm. so that's the duality of saturn um each planet is going to have a um, dual kind of meaning and so like that's how the book kind of treats history too it's like it's a collage it's like it's an archive 
That's really awesome. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think that's not a perspective I've ever heard before, which is one of the reasons why I appreciate your work so much. It's I just think it approaches astrology in a way that I think your work sets yourself apart from other astrologers. And it's it that's I think that's personally why it speaks to me. Um I guess one of the questions I had is you describe post-colonial astrology as an explicitly queer POC and intersectional resource. And so I guess how do I, my question is, how do you see your book fitting into what I kind of feel is like this like reclamation or mainstream resurgence of astrology that's like divorced from like capitalist and whiteness focused overtones? Yeah. Yeah, the book, it's like the reason why it's not like trying to invent like, oh, here's like a new way of like doing astrology or something. I feel like mm-hmm. that would be like, I mean, really white male of um, me to do like um, it's it's looking at what's already happening. So like yeah, the intention of the book is that anyone can use it in alignment with their own practice. Um, and it just kind of gives you like certain points of questioning, like what are the symbols that are in circulation? So then you're able to create a new relationship to it. Um, and like, you know, um, like, cause like, you know, until like very recently, a lot of astrology, it's really right wing. Uh, Reagan used an astrologer, JP Morgan, Hitler. Like, it, so a lot of the symbols that we see including how gender is talked about in astrology, including um, how, I mean, yeah, how history is talked about, like, it is really right wing. So when we're heteronormative, yeah, (laughs) like, how many books are just like, if you have a male lover, who is this? I'm like, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I was just like, yes. No, yeah, it's really weird. So then when we're using it, like we're also transforming the language because um, it's a language, astrology is a language, it's not a belief system. Um, and language on its own, like language is always treacherous. So by practicing language, like there's no original form of language. By practicing language, it's always going through change. Mm, I love that. Yeah, you just mentioned this a little bit, um, but I know something that I've learned through like your social media posts um, is like the way Venus and Mars have been gendered and how that's like changed over time. So I was wondering if you could talk a little more about um, like those planets specifically and like the associations with gender. Yeah, I found out some pretty interesting things with Venus and Mars because they're so explicitly gendered, Venus and Mars, but like all planets are gendered a certain way except for venus um like i know like venus and the moon they're kind of associated with femininity but the moon traditionally was male and um so venus is the only planet that's like traditionally like kind of femme and um i found out like with mars the interesting thing is like mars is described sometimes as effeminate and the reason for that is because Mars is really hypersexualized too. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, the book it talks about gender. Um, with Venus, it talks about gender as a social construct, but it talks about reproductive labor with the moon. So it's, I mean, it's talked about separately. With gender as a social construct, it's talked about in the context of war and power. Um, with reproductive labor, we're talking about capital a little bit more. So it's not like it's not described as a monolith gender. It's described as like kind of these separate things, sometimes working um, in contradiction. Um, but 
yeah, like kind of always doing something. Yeah, totally. Um, I think you started to talk about this a little bit too, but I'd love to know more about how you view Saturn's role and what you found about the different ways that it's been viewed, um, kind of both as this like symbol of agricultural abundance and like abundance of the land, but then also kind of as like this colonizing force of like taking over the land. Um, could you talk about just, yeah, some of the ways that Saturn has been kind of misappropriated and how you think it should be interpreted? Yeah, Saturn's an interesting one because Saturn's a malefic, kind of like Mars. So like usually when Saturn and Mars are described, they're described as things that exist beyond the borders of the empire. So Mars is always seen as the enemy. And then Saturn is like really conflated with indigeneity. And then, uh, I mean, with Saturn, like sun and the moon, like we're talking about the metallics too, like gold, silver, carbon. And they all have ways of measuring value. Um, with Saturn, like there's like a utopian idea around Saturn, like, you know, um, Arcadia versus Elysium. Um, in utopian projects, like they've always been white supremacists. So like, you know, with the Saturn stuff, like we're talking about like just kind of how we imagine the past and the future. Um, you know, we're always talking about in relationship with the sun and moon too. Um, that was probably the hardest section of the book for me. Like I had to like kind of rewrite it many times. I feel like in terms of that part of the book, like I had to really sit in my own feelings of shame around being an Asian settler um, yeah, on this land too. So, you know, yeah, the Saturn, it's important. It's one of the first sections in the book too. Saturn feels um, uh, for me like such a complicated uh, <laughs> planet. I mean, I'm sure it is for everyone, but mine is in Capricorn uh, and you know, Capricorn is so hardworking, diligent, and I think sometimes, at least to me, my Capricorn placements can feel like capitalist foot foot soldiers. <laughs> and especially when it's in Saturn, it feels, you know, like that that has kind of amplified these societal norms for me. Uh, so I have found it really healing to to kind of understand. Saturn in a different way and also understand Capricorn in a different way. Um, so I, I love that you're kind of exploring those themes because I think at first glance, uh, Saturn to me is definitely the planet I I struggle with the most. And, and I think this I think having a Saturn return is really helpful for kind of like facing that um, head on. That was just kind of random, but I just wanted to say. Yeah, I have like a group chat um, where like it's called Saturn's Footstools. Mm. Where we just talk about, like, the pressure of life. Yes, mm -hmm. just take a minute and uh, and sit on a footstool too. It's nice. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to ask a question about your Instagram style. I think it's really unique. Um, for for those of you that don't know, Alice Sparkly Cat uses very minimalistic black type font on a white background for their posts. And for me, um, this aesthetically really hammers home a lot of your personal philosophies. And I really think it emphasizes the points you try to make in your like quick astrology or whatever we want to call the social media realm of astrology. Um, can you talk a little bit about your choice to do that? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you like the font choice. Um, I just use like this app called Text on Photo. And then, like, yeah, you just use like Times New Roman. <laughs> um, I love not it. A, yeah, I'm not a designer, so um, yeah, it's just the easiest solution for me. Um, I did choose Times New Roman because it's like you know, like Roman, and I was kind of thinking about like, well, I'm using this like kind of like Roman language to do something different. So like, I don't know, like that's kind of why I chose it too. Um, so I think about it a little bit like I'm almost like doing whiteface like with the Times New Roman sometimes but I use it a lot but because it's also like just the most accessible font I agree yeah yeah Yeah, if you like you know it's like the default font yeah I think it's really interesting um you know I was curious if it came from a place of you're like I just don't know I didn't want to design things um (laughs) which is cool because I, I think it weirdly, you know, even though it kind of is circumstantial in that way, I really think that sometimes design can detract from what you're trying to get across. And I, I think, A, your sense of humor shines through really well in it um, when oh, it's cool. a, a funny thing. Um, and that's really nice. I think that that's, that's not easy to do in social media. And... Um, I also think that there's kind of this power in the minimalism in that. Um, yeah, there's power in Times New Roman. I think yeah. that's why I use it. Yeah, that's what I mean about the white face. There's some power in Times New Roman. Yeah. I used to want to use Comic Sans because I heard that it's the most accessible font for people who are dyslexic. Oh, really? But, um, yeah, like too many people made fun of me for that. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm dyslexic and I think Comic Sans is really ugly but that's just me personally I'm not speaking on behalf of a community (laughs) (laughs) just my personal opinion is I just find it ugly (laughs) um but yeah in a similar vein I'm just kind of curious your general thoughts on like popular astrology like all of like apps and like social media like memes like horoscopes stuff like that um how if does that play into like the misappropriation that you're talking about in your work? Yeah, I mean, I love popular astrology because I think that there's like kind of this gendered component too, where like a lot of the really institutional forms of astrology, like that was primarily like cishet male teachers. And then like um, a lot of like cis women, like students, but then popular astrology, like sun sign horoscopes, things like that, like that came in um, during the zine culture mm. of, I think, like third wave feminism or something. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of co-opted by mag- like, you know, bigger magazines now and things like that. But I mean, I think that like, yeah, like popular astrology, just like people using astrology to connect to each other. Um, things like that like I I see as like something really different than commercial astrology which Mm -hmm. is like I'm gonna sell this pillow with like you know the sign on it or something like that oh yeah I hate those ads I forget exactly what the brand was but it was like here's like the wallpaper you should get based on your sign and I was like how dare you sell me wallpaper (laughs) yeah I'm like I rent this room I'm not gonna put up wallpaper (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that um 
I get your horoscope email every month. And one of the things that I love about it is that it often focuses on relationships and how we connect with other people. Um, I'm definitely one of the folks in our group who's newer to astrology. And I think one thing that turned me off to kind of the more capitalist mainstream version of astrology for a long time is how focused it is on like the individual and like placing all sort of agency and responsibility for our lives just on ourselves um, when that really isn't how most of our lives work. Like we rely on other people to take care of us and we take care of others and like change doesn't usually happen just by one person doing something. It's like a group of people working together. Um, so I guess I'm just curious, like how you think about the connections between your astrological work and then this type of community organizing and community care that forms such a big part of a lot of our lives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to do more community work that kind of shut down this last year. And then, um, yeah, I left my nonprofit job this year, too. But mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, I mean, you know, just like, yeah, community work has been pretty important to my life for um, several years. Um, I think that I mean, some of the things that cause issues in our lives, like, um, like can't be solved by ourselves. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't change. So I really like that, like, old adage, like, as above, so below, so below, as, or as below, so above, too. Because, um, like, I mean, you know, it's used in really, like, kind of, like, horrible ways where it's, like, um, you know, it's talking about hierarchy sometimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think that it's also saying, well, you know, what's above, it's the stars. So as we change, as our social agreements change, like, our interpretations of the stars, they also change. So, like, mm -hmm. yeah, like, you can change what Saturn means, but, like, you know, you can't do it by yourself. But you, right. It's possible. So I really like, um, yeah, I really like that phrase just for that. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to ask you a question about, I guess maybe, I don't really know how to phrase this, but I guess the queer phenomenon within astrology. For me, as a queer human, one of the first questions I ask or am asked on dating apps or when I'm getting to know someone is their big three, you know, their sun, moon, and rising. And I realize that straight people don't do this, <laughs> or for the most part, they really don't. Like, I don't know what they talk about. <laughs> I don't, I really don't know when they're trying to get to know each other. That's just a great question in general. Yeah, what, what, do what are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Cannot relate. <laughs> but I guess because especially you see so many clients, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, are on uh, queerness and how it intersects with astrology, how it connects and feeds into astrology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like last year I downloaded that dating app Lex, and then um, I noticed like, <laughs> everyone is just like all um, like you know, here's my rising sign, and then here's like the sign I'm looking for. So I was like, oh, that's nice. Like, yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of nice to have like something so person, like something that you have such a personal relationship to talk about, like right off the bat. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think well, like you know that like the popular astrology happening in the 80s 90s like that's part of this third wave feminism so astrology like it really changes as feminism is changing so i think that's why queers have such a um yeah attachment to astrology because there is this kind of historical basis for it too um yeah for me the way that i experience it as well is 
whatever boxes uh, I was put into as a child or, you know, at whatever periods in my life have have felt really restrictive, have felt really um, constraining. And for me, astrology has been the first thing as well as like queerness and labels within queerness and also changing labels within queerness. Um, has It kind of, to me, has the same energy where it's it's just a tool for understanding yourself and community that you could be with as well as how you can grow community with one another, like how different things can interact. Um, and I think, at least for me in the queer communities that I feel really grateful to be a part of, they feel like really intentional communities. And so I love that the queer, like queer people in general are obsessed with astrology because I think it, it allows us to communicate and interact and have grace with one another in ways like I feel like when we're all talking to each other on the podcast, we're even just like, mm, that's your Capricorn moon or that's <laughs> like, like we're able to kind of a joke about it, but be like, it's be like, always one of these two's Capricorn moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bianca and Julia both have a, a Capricorn moon. We, we forgive them for it. It's it. Honestly, it's powerful. It's it's, but it is, it's its own thing. It's just really fun. I think for us to be able to kind of hold space for uh, the various maybe eccentricities within our personalities uh, for queer community. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel like queer people aren't walking around going like, well, you know, this is who you are based on like (laughs) this. Like, it's just kind of like a way of like, yeah, expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I haven't like totally thought this through, but I almost think of it sometimes as like a replacement for like, I don't know, because it's like cishet people have like literally all of media that like reflects them. And there's this like language and framework and structure for how those relationships are supposed to work. And there's like all these unspoken rules and things that we sort of grow up knowing about. But like for a lot of queer and trans folks, we just like don't really have that to the same extent or at least like as long of a history of it and so I sometimes feel like it's just like helpful to have other frameworks and I think astrology is a major one of like how you relate to people and how you form relationships and how you talk about relationships Mm -hmm. um I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if that's just like nonsense but that's like (laughs) something I think comes up for me is like Maybe this is part of why this feels like important and meaningful, particularly mm-hmm. in queer communities. Yeah, for sure. Because it's so low context, like queer relationships. Like it's like, whoa, how do you do this? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember like actually, I think like the other yeah, two days ago, um, I was talking to my friend who's a Capricorn moon and they were like, Yeah, like, you know, I have so much Saturn energy. So I want to teach a workshop on how to be a dad. And yeah, it's just like I love how queer people oh like, God, I love use that. these to like kind of like mock things too. Or mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's incredible. That's a, that's really <laughs> awesome that your friend is doing that. I want to go to the workshop. I mean, I don't have kids. I probably won't ever. But I just, I just want to know. Yeah, they don't either. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I want to go. I want to be like you know, just like a dad personality. Yeah. Totally. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as an Aries, we are constantly baby, so I'm down for some dad, some daddy. 
Um, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know who is listening to our podcast that isn't into astrology. They've been listening for a long time and maybe just not understanding the language we're using constantly. But I guess, uh, what would you say to folks who are astro curious, but uh, haven't really done a dive into their chart or don't really know where to start or feel overwhelmed by the process of kind of like getting into astrology. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, like just talking to pe- people about it, cause that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, like, you know, astrology, it's not like a product. Like, you know, no one gets into astrology cause you see an ad for it. Like, um, yeah, you kind of just like, you know, it shows up in your relationships to people so um yeah and you know never feel like oh i have to be into this um for any reason um it like it's just the language so you can i mean you can use it however you want like you're never wrong when you use astrology a certain way Mm. i love that i i think you know one of the things I remember from the first episode of you being on here, I was talking about how I got into astrology when it was at a time where I couldn't afford therapy and I really needed some help. Um, and I started kind of looking at these things, these tendencies that I might have that per- particularly were harmful for myself. Um, I have a Scorpio moon and a Scorpio rising. And so that there's just a lot there. And also a Venus Pisces. So I'm like a tender um, baby <laughs> just all the time. Uh, and and I, I, I had a, a lot of struggles moving through trauma because of, I think, particularly the Scorpio placements. Mm-hmm. Um, because I... You know, one of the things that you talked to me about in our one-on-one, um, what which I highly recommend to everyone, is to hire um, and and book uh, Ace mm-hmm. to uh, to do a reading with you. But one of the things that you talked to me about with my Scorpio Moon is because its its placement is in Fall, um, it kind of acts as though a, it's a plant in the desert, in the sense that. It doesn't need it only needs a small amount of water to survive and and honestly, like doesn't reach out for help often. And um, I've taken that into my daily life so much in this past year, like thinking about the ways that I self isolate, thinking about the ways Mm. that I, you know, might have these kind of harmful patterns for myself uh, so for me, I feel like it's really powerful, a powerful tool to be able to kind of work through some of those things. And, and again, I'm just so grateful to the work that you do um, to help people kind of get to that place as well. Yeah, I love what you said about like, I mean, just getting astrology when therapy like isn't affordable. Because um, mm-hmm. I mean, I got into astrology when I really needed therapy, I couldn't afford it too. So like, yeah, I feel like it was, um, I mean, it's just like, it's so nice to be able to talk about something and um, like kind of like see that external like feedback. Um, yeah, I mean, to like kind of know like, well, these things like they're real, like they're happening to me all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm I'm in an MSW program now, and in one of my classes, it's on like clinical skills and What's like an assessing... MSW. Just in case people don't know. Oh, a master in social work. <laughs> um, it's fine. Um, but 
But point is in my class about talking, we were talking about assessing clients and like people brought up the, like one of the tools you could use is like talking about their astrology chart and like using that as like a jumping off point. And of course this like white dude in the class, there's like five white dudes in my program. And one of them was like, are you serious right now? Like he was getting so mad at everyone. But besides the point, um, <laughs> I remember also seeing Ace, I think you tweeted something about like astrology for like therapists, like doing a workshop or something like that. So I was just wondering um, how you see that like fitting together more. Well, like I'm not like a therapist. I'm not trained in that way or anything. Like um, I wanted to like do a course for just like how to kind of like counsel people using astrology. Yeah. I mean, without like knowing anything about therapies. Yeah. I was kind of looking into it this last year just because like the client work for this year, especially I feel like was um getting to a point where it was like, whoa, like, you know, I yeah, I want to learn some counseling methodologies too. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I wanted to do like, I wanted to do a course, like to give people who want to use astrology as a form of care work in their own communities, like a way to do that, um, like with confidence and to like also have boundaries because a lot of what we do, like, it's not therapy, like we're not working with clients on an ongoing basis. So then, um, you know, like there's things that like we can't do too. Um, but then there's things I feel like astrology is really nice for that. Like, I mean, so like, you know, a lot of the ways that people of color interact with therapy is like, it is coercive. It's mm -hmm. happening. Like a lot of times it's like, you know, mandated yes. by a court or something, but that never happens with astrology. So I think like, it's like a space with a lot of potential, um, so uh, yeah, I wanted to put together a course for just kind of like, yeah, doing that where people can practice um, on each other, where people can have like partners for doing care work. Um, but I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how that could work. So like, I don't yeah, know. well, that sounds amazing. If you do it, I'll be there. Oh, yeah, cool. that sounds really, really good. Same. Yeah, I yeah. would also be super interested cool yeah i mean i wanted to do this so i can like learn from people um, yeah and like i wanted to have that space for myself yeah yeah i guess along the lines of like what astrology can do for us when other things aren't available i had a question about like how astrology and religiosity or lack of religion fit in together i think personally like I've never grown up religious or really spiritual, um, but I've always been intensely curious about like myself, how I am, how other people are, how the world is, like all these like really big questions about the universe. And I guess when I was young, I wasn't really doing a lot of reflection. And so I didn't realize that I was kind of missing out on like ways to explain how people work and how the universe works until like pretty recently. And I think I gravitated toward astrology because it did give me, as you said, like this language for understanding people and for understanding like the way our planet fits into other planets in the universe more broadly. And so I guess my question for you is, did you have any thoughts about like, if you think astrology has the capacity to do for people who aren't religious, what religion does for people who are? Yeah, religion's kind of funny. I was raised really religious. Same. Um, I was raised like in a like you know Asian church, mm -hmm. and 
I don't know. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, like I stopped, I mean, you know, I don't go to church anymore um, or anything and I'm not religious today. Yeah. Religion's kind of funny. Cause like, I mean, I see all these parallels between our social justice movements and religion and like how a lot of people, um, I mean, yeah, a lot of people like, you know, grew up in a religious setting. Like people are kind of looking for similar things, community or fellowship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then I'm kind of like, oh, well, the queer community is kind of like church sometimes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I don't have too much experience with what religion is. Like religion, it's kind of funny because like, um, I was like, I was interacting with my grandpa like two years ago. And like a lot of his studies around the eating, like he couldn't do them because of the cultural evolution. Mm-hmm. And um, but like that's not a religion. That's not, that's an ideology. So, right. Yeah, religions. I don't. Yeah, I don't really know what they are. Mm. Right. I mean, that's kind of how I feel too. Like similarly, <laughs> like my parents, because of the cultural revolution, mm-hmm. grew up in a space where they were not able to practice religion, and so yeah. that was something they carried on to like my upbringing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I feel like because of that like there's this kind of like apoliticalness too yes mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yeah i <clears throat> i grew up in a conservative catholic household mm-hmm. <laughs> and like catholicism is so nuts so damaging particularly to queer people um julie and i kind of vented about this last night at our reading group uh but yeah we've been um reading parable of the sower in our reading group which is like about sort of like what a social justice religion could look like and we just all were venting about our horrible religious experiences growing (laughs) up totally um and it's really been interesting because someone the other day called me a spiritual person because i'm like always thinking about astrology and um also community and how to like and those things do feel that way but I was very taken aback by that person because my religious upbringing was so traumatic I was like what are you talking about but then I felt really you know a sense of power in it which like thank you airy season because it's like I think that you know there's something so beautiful about being in touch with the stuff that we can't quite explain or the stuff that has question marks but makes sense or can be guiding tools um and i have found the community that comes with astrology like sending each other random astrology memes or whatever it is is in and of itself um I think a very therapeutic and spiritual thing for me personally. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a personal question. So, <laughs> as mentioned, I have a Capricorn moon. Um, me too. It's kind of terrible. I guess just so that this isn't just like my therapy session, I guess I'm just <laughs> curious if you have advice for people who are dealing with a part of their chart that they find challenging or that they feel like is sort of having too great of a pull on their lives, like either coming to terms with it and accepting it. Cause I feel like in some ways it's like, can't really fight it. It is what it is, but also, you know, maybe working with it in a way that is more helpful to your life. Um, yeah. Just if you have any tips on that generally, and if any of them are specific to Capricorn moons, that would be great, but not required. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Capricorn moon, like that's a moon that's in detriment. Um, so like when a planet's in detriment, like it's trying to define itself in opposition to the environment that it finds itself mm-hmm. in. So it's a moon that's trying to change something. So like, I mean, Capricorn moon, that's a really powerful moon. Um, like, you know, like if there's any times like a part of your chart that's like, you know, I like I really hate this part of uh, my chart or anything like that, like um it's sometimes like helpful to see like well what what does this part of my chart like want to change um because maybe you know yeah maybe that part of your chart like it's trying to do something for you like all the placements are is like they're talking about well what like historical context are you born under so um when you're looking at any planet it's like it's really just about that um so yeah like for example like maybe i'm like oh i hate like my like mars in a certain condition or something it's like oh hey like you know like yeah what's this doing like how have you experienced um like whatever it is like mars kind of means to you how have you experienced how capricorn means to you like what do you want to change about this experience like like that could be like a good question Mm Yeah, I think um, that goes well into uh, one of our our last questions for you. Um, I'm sure the people at home are wondering about your chart. So we know from the beginning that you're an Aries. um, And then I wanted to ask if there's any placements to you that stand out, either if you have like favorite placements of yours or if there's ones that like you feel like you've really had to like work on or grapple with more. Um, Yeah, like how what has your chart experience been like? Yeah, well, in my chart, like, I have both benefits and detriment, so I feel like I hated that, like, for a long time, just because, like, I mean, benefits are, like, kind of the nice planets, but then they're, like, kind of um, fucked up in my chart. Can um, you just explain I, what benefits mean for yeah, folks that yeah. know? Um, benefits are just Venus and Jupiter, basically, so they're planets that um like basically they're planets that are a little bit more optimistic like they're a little bit nicer venus is like oh here's what you receive um jupiter is like here's what you believe in so you have um, an aries venus i have an aries venus and i have a virgo jupiter oh (laughs) 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 Um, but yeah i mean (laughs) yeah um like now I kind of like them um because I've like yeah I mean you know just because like everyone my age has Virgo Jupiter mm-hmm. a lot of people will have both benefits in detriment like you know as long as your Venus is also in detriment um and I kind of like it because I feel like we're kind of these like negative Nancys that are <laughs> <laughs> kind of like supporting each other um but yeah that's awesome it's so interesting I I would have, I've never met someone who had a a, a Virgo um, Jupiter. I realize. Oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know several. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I know a ton of Aries Venus, and I actually like that placement. But I like Aries placements generally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I find it to be. Um, <clears throat> Like, it can be challenging, I think, for those people to, uh, at least in my life, to feel comfortable letting their guard down in love Mm -hmm. um, and kind of not 
seeking out friction in romance constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as my whole chart is ruled by Mars, I mean, who's who can say that's a bad thing? (laughs) No. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing with us. That's so nice. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to add before or just kind of um, say before we say goodbye to you? Yeah, I I wanted to say like um yeah pre-order this book post-colonial astrology uh, it's coming out on May nineteenth uh, or eighteenth whichever is a Tuesday <laughs> if you um if you go to my website alicebarkleycat.com slash post colonial astrology like you can order from Mil Mundos they're a mutual aid network in mm. addition to being bookstores so like you know that's just what's listed on my website um, they don't ship internationally. So if you are living outside the United States, like just contact your local bookstore and they can definitely stock the book as long as they have an account with Penguin. So it's really accessible um, as the make, to make the book as cheap as possible, too. So it's really accessible. Um, Absolutely. And uh, we're going to just put that link right in the description. So if you're listening to this episode, you can just go right there um, and pre-order the book now. Um. Ace, this was so amazing. As always, I, I'm just so thrilled that you agreed to come and speak with us. And I'm just so in awe of everything that you do. And I can't wait to see what, what, uh, what you continue to do. Yeah, same. It was great talking to all of you again. Yeah, and like it was good just like seeing your faces again after yeah. a, a long year. <laughs> I know, after a long year of isolation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We hope that you have a great rest of your day. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, thank you. Have great, a good thanks. Thank you. That was an amazing episode. So thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, you can give us your money on Patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. Now uh, is a really good time to join. It's a really good time to join. <laughs> um, I guess it's a good time because of our reading group. And it meets, I guess, once every two weeks, once every once every two weeks, I guess it's been lately. Yeah. And we're we're in our fiction phase, yeah. which is really exciting. So join we did us decide there. We're starting the new a new book, Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula, Ursula Le, Guin. Le Guin on Sunday, April 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern. And we did that so we could accommodate West Coast times as well as y'all in Europe who want to join us. Yes. So also, very exciting. If you want to learn about your chart and astrology, I'm starting an astrology series, uh, like lessons on Saturdays. Um, it'll be at a tiered uh, thing because it's like actual prep work and a lot of stuff. So it will be a little bit more money than the bare minimum of joining our Discord, but I think that it's going to be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So lots of new things happening uh, there. Uh, if for whatever reason you don't want to give us your money, which lame, but um, if you don't, you okay, can. You. Unless you don't have any, <laughs> then it's fine. Yeah. You can then follow us on Instagram at Season of the Bee, at Twitter at Season of the Bee. Um, you can review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple's podcasts, and we're also on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, basically. And then last, you can email us at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. 
Don't forget, we're still accepting applications to our email address um, for dating the coven. Um, most specifically, Laura, please include a cover letter resume. Um, there will probably be a background check process. Uh, yeah, we we look forward to reviewing your applications carefully. Thank As you so group. much for considering. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Incredible. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Season of the Bitch.